Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us, worshiping the Lord. And thank you so much for ShareFest yesterday. How many of you were at ShareFest? Yes. Thank you so much. We had, uh, we had 17 different locations, 32 different churches and organizations, and 1,800 people who showed up to serve the love of Jesus to the city of Topeka, no strings attached. So thank you for doing that. I'm having a little problem raising my hand today because of all the work I did. I was working at Topeka West and I was trimming roses. And it's amazing how many people were taking pictures of me while I was doing this. And I realized they must think this is the only time they actually see their pastor working. <laughs> so it's great to have you. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, as People just think about what's the, what's the use of a church these days? What's the use of uh, faith today? By going outside the church and serving people and loving people and making a difference in our community, you show that this has a purpose. This is a purpose. This is not just a holy huddle here, right? This is something ultimately we want to affect what happens outside here in our homes, where we work, in our communities, in the city. And so thanks uh, so much for all you did on that. And next week, I want to invite you back for Mother's Day as we celebrate the value of our mothers in our lives. And if you have a mother who is with you, please bring her with you. My mom's coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Let's hear from Milwaukee and the Green Bay Packers. Yes, (laughs) sorry. That's how I could get you to clap for my Packers. How about that? Um, But Cheryl's mom is coming from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. And she'll be here also. And we'll have different things set up in our atrium for you to take your picture with mom. And then we'll have those pictures for you available in weeks to come. And we also have a special treat for you. How about that? It's just like Sunday school in old times, you know? So we'll have something for you on that. I hope you'll come back and have a wonderful weekend with us celebrating just the gift of mothers here. Hey, we're continuing a series called The Most We Can Do. And uh, if you're new, welcome. It's really good to have you here. And what we're talking about is the most that we can do is pray. Prayer is really the most we can do. A lot of people think that I can try my hardest. I'll do my part. God will do his part. And if it doesn't work, then I'll pray. And it's kind of our last resort. But really, prayer is a gift from God. It's, a, it's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. And it's something that grows us deeper. And so what we're trying to do as a church family is to really develop the practice that the first thing we'll do is pray. When we're just about to fear, we'll pray. When we're worried and anxious about things that are happening, whether it's your final year of classes at Washburn or something like that, we want to be people who are praying, who are constantly in communication and having an ongoing conversation with God through prayer. Last week, we talked about that first line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we talked about that when Jesus taught us to pray, he wants us to realize who we really are. We are, through faith in Jesus Christ, children of God. And so therefore, we have a heavenly father who's a loving heavenly father. And he calls us to to ask, ask for good things. He loves to give good things to his children who ask. And so that's what we charge you with, with doing. We called you into asking Asking. I think the church has stopped asking. People stop asking because we look at the world around us and we even sometimes see the issues within us and we just go, oh, there's no hope. I just just got to plot along on this. Ask. Your heavenly father loves you to ask. What are you asking for? Have you ever written down over the course of a week, what are you asking God for? 
It's really good. I would encourage you to do that. I've done that, and I just realized, where's my focus been this week? It's based on what I've been asking God for. Has it been a kingdom about me, or has it really been a kingdom about God? What you ask for makes a difference in your focus. Secondly, we asked you to seek, to go on seeking, to keep on seeking. Jesus said, uh, whoever seeks, finds. And so when we talk about seeking, we're talking about something we don't know, or we don't understand that's happening in our lives right now, that we long for God to give us clarity, to give us understanding. And my goodness, when you look around, and if you're a person of your heart, you will look around and you will see things that don't make sense in your world and in yourself. And it's a good request to pray, God, show me this about myself that I don't know and don't fully understand. Show me this about that person that I'm not getting and I'm writing a story and I'm writing a bad story. They're the the villain. I'm the victim. And so we ask God to show us something we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know that we long for clarity on. Your heavenly father loves you to ask for those and to seek. And then we talked about knocking. Then, and when we talk about knocking on a door, we're talking about something that's shut or something that's closed that we long to be opened. I think about that. And there's not a week and mostly there's not a day that goes by where I don't pray for God to open the door to the gospel here in Topeka. I pray that I could be a part of a major spiritual awakening in the city of Topeka where men and women, students and children will come to Christ and turn and trust and follow him. I live that. That's, I'm knocking on the door. It's, it's been shut and I pray that it will open. Some of you have people in your life you deeply care for who are just not people of faith and they don't want a relationship with God. They're close to it. Pray. Pray, knock on that door, and, uh, and, and trust them with God as we do this. Well, today we're going to continue, and as we continue, it's actually linked. And we link this passage with the one before it where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it says in verse 10 of Matthew 6, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk to you about this because what God is telling us or calling us into in this uh, this Lord's Prayer is a relationship through these words. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about me as a father is uh, I remember when our firstborn was given to us and James was born and the doctor allowed me to cut his umbilical cord. I don't know if you dads ever, you never forget that feeling, okay, of cutting the umbilical cord. And after I gave the child back to the doctor, I said, hey, make sure it's an innie. I don't want an Audi on the belly button. I don't want it popping out. So make sure it goes in. Pull tight, whoop, goes back in. Good, that's good. So I was thankful. I made that request for each of my three children. (laughs) But I remember holding that little boy, James, 24 years ago. And I remember just praying and trusting him with the Lord. And there's some of the things I prayed for him when he was little. Lord, I pray that he sleeps through the night. (laughs) I pray that he's healthy. I pray that he grows up. And we always had those measures, you know, here's the percentile our child is in. We were absolutely committed to where he was growing. And we tried to feed him more. And no matter how much we fed him, he still was skinny. I don't know where he got that from. (laughs) 
But we, we prayed for these things. And then as we looked at all the things that were facing him, and we looked at other kids as he was continuing to grow up, it was easy to pray, Lord, help us get into this. Help us help him do that. Help him do well in school. Help him well, you know, because he'll need that good ACT score to get into that school. Help him do well in soccer and in basketball, because we long for that Division One scholarship for our child who never cleared 6-1, you know? And so we, we had those prayers. And, and here's one thing that I've been convicted over the years on is I no longer pray for what my kids will do. I pray for who they are becoming. I pray for who they are in Christ. And now my prayers for my kids are, you know, I, I don't care what kind of jobs they get. I don't care what kind of income they make. I mean, as long as they don't live back with me. Um, I, have a, I have a heart that I want them to become all they could be in Christ. And when you pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are praying God's dream for your life. Your heavenly father is absolutely sold out and committed and dreams of you becoming like Christ. He has that for each one of our, his kids. And I've kind of aligned over the years. I wish when I was a new father, I wish I would have had those prayers. I'd really do. But that's something that I've developed over this time where I, your heavenly father is not focused on what you do or what you're not doing. He's focused on who you're becoming. And that's all because of grace. And the glory of the gospel that shines through us, us kids is that all that we need, he's already provided for us. We don't have to work for this. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to do more things. To live in the dream of our heavenly father is all about becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God and the will of God are two areas that we're called to pray for. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's talk about that first concept of kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as you read the Old and New Testament, is kind of like a hidden concept. It's kind of like a code word for something far greater than we think it is. And as you read the New Testament without an understanding of the kingdom, um, it's kind of hidden. It's kind of hidden. I don't know about you, but I used to read Ranger Rick. You know what I'm talking about? Range, any amens for Ranger Rick? Okay. I never read the articles. I just looked for this picture. I looked for this picture. See that? It was the hidden objects. And sure, it's a serene nature scene, but... But on the right-hand side there, you've got to find those hidden objects in it. And my mind was always drawn to that. And my mind would map out these pictures. And when I found them, I always remembered them. And I could go back to the picture. There's the shoe. There's the, there's the pie in the middle of a picture. It has nothing, but it's there. It's there. Now, I'm going to turn this so that you don't keep looking for the hidden objects in it, okay? Because <laughs> I actually want you to pay attention to this. But once you understand the kingdom, once you understand the kingdom and you understand what Jesus is talking about when he asked us to pray your kingdom come, it's amazing. You'll remember it. You'll read it. If you understand the word kingdom and you read especially through the book of Matthew, it's just all over the place. And it's like, why was I listening to this like an alarm clock radio? You know, now I see it in full surround sound. Now I really see it in 4K. I can understand the kingdom through this. And so what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom? Well, we mean three things. And here's how we pray for God's kingdom. Now, move along so you don't look at that. The first one is this. 
we mean God's external kingdom. There is a kingdom on earth and there's a kingdom in heaven. And these two kingdoms are at war right now, whether you realize it or not. Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God because that what we fight with, what we struggle with is not flesh and blood, but it's, it's, um, powers and its authorities and its cosmic powers in this present darkness and and what's happening around us spiritually and we realize this is real this is real and so when you pray your kingdom come you're saying god bring your kingdom in the kingdom that is on this earth right now a kingdom that is dark If you understand the external kingdom of God, you'll understand that in John, when Jesus is light, he shines in the darkness, two kingdoms. The light shines in darkness. The darkness doesn't want it. The darkness would rather have darkness rather than have the light of Christ. But this light, this light named Jesus shines in darkness. And so when you pray for the kingdom of God, you're praying, God, I want light to defeat darkness in this world. Jesus spoke in code, and he spoke in code using what's known as parables. And parables were messages about a greater teaching truth, but through the telling of a story. And he says this, he says this, here's one of those. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, this is actually an Old Testament imagery where God is planting a tree and all the birds will come and find their rest in that tree. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm that mustard seed and I'm planted. And as I rise up, there are going to be many there. You will find rest for your souls. And the birds all around the world, all the nations will come and find their rest in me. But it's in code here, right? When you know that that mustard seed is referred to as Jesus, then his kingdom, his external kingdom, makes some sense. And when you look around you, what do you see? I know it's easy to look at it, your life in a really nice home or a really nice car with healthy kids. I know it's easy for you to go when you look at this world and say to yourself, what a wonderful world. It's easy to look at that. But if you really understand this world, it is broken. And it is not light, it is darkness. And it ought to break our hearts when we look around and we see the realities of the brokenness and the evil around us that's happening. If you've had the opportunity to travel outside of the United States, where 95% of the world exists today, it is not a wonderful world. There's exploitation, there's bro- broken systems, there's evil empires, uh, and and... But you don't even have to travel outside of Topeka to catch this. There are places that we look at. There are places that we can travel to right here in Topeka where there is darkness. And we need to pray for God's external kingdom to become light. So when you pray, your kingdom come, you're saying, God, make light shine in darkness in my world today. Secondly, there's God's internal kingdom. Paul talks about this in Colossians where he talks about the work of Christ and he says, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This internal kingdom is the work of Christ in us. It's us moving us away from sin and into the righteousness 
of God. Now, this is something that has happened positionally with us in Christ, but is also progressive in us in Christ. And Paul develops this further by two words, the flesh and the spirit. And when you're living under the flesh and in the, in the power of the flesh, you don't want the light of Christ in your life. You want yourself or you want something in this world apart from Christ. But when you're following and being led by the Spirit, that's when the kingdom of God really can shine through you. So when you pray, your kingdom come, you're saying, God, I need your light in my life. I want to look more and more like Jesus today. If you've ever looked honestly at the realities of yourself, you will long for the internal kingdom of God. When you realize and you look around you, even when you walk into church and you go, look at those people. They're not like me. Look at what they're doing. I've come here to worship the Lord. Pray for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not in self-righteousness. It's in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When you look at the kingdom of God out in this world and you realize the brokenness within, then you'll pray, God, I want, I want you more than I want myself in this world. I want to look more like Jesus. I have had it with just this insatiable desire just to get one more thing or become one more thing or make one more dollar or accomplish one more task. We've got to get to the end of ourselves so that we'll be about the internal kingdom of God. And then there is the eternal kingdom of God. So external, internal, eternal kingdom of God. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he really shares with us the work of Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. And this resurrection power that is alive and at work in us has secured this eternal kingdom that is about to come. Look what he says Jesus' resurrection caused for us. It says, then comes the end when he being Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And he must reign, for he must reign, until he had put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated or destroyed is death. I love this image. It's like he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Feet, and he is stomping on death. He, excuse me for spitting. He's, com- he's stomping on injustice. He's stomping on unrighteousness in this world and within us, and he will win. This is the king of the kingdom. And there is no kingdom of God without the king. And that's why Jesus didn't say, I'm one among many. You choose. He said, I am the king. I am the one. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And a lot of us love this picture of a kingdom of peace. Peace with the world and peace within. A lot of us love the concept of pleasure and delight. I love to be relaxed. I love to be chill. I love to live life on my own terms. We love that concept and we pursue a different king. And there is no kingdom of God without the king of kings, Jesus. And this eternal kingdom is something we long for. That's something within us that is part of the image of God crafted in us. We just long for peace. We long for love. We long to be known fully and loved completely. Where does this come from? It is God reminding us of what we were created for. And so we're actually called into this eternal kingdom. I used to only pray this aspect of the kingdom when I prayed the Lord's Prayer. 
I just prayed, Lord, I'm praying for a future kingdom that will come when Jesus, Jesus... No, but really what it comes to is we're praying, God, your kingdom, your righteousness, your light, your truth, your love in my life right now. Lord, right now, today, in Topeka, I want your kingdom to come. Now think about how this changes everything for us. When it's all about God's kingdom, it's not about our kingdom. And my goodness, if we don't have the kingdom of God, there will be many kingdoms we pursue with many kings that rule us. Rule us. Can you imagine this? The first thought when you see the brokenness of the world, Lord, your kingdom come. Not, oh no, what do I got to do? The brokenness within you. Oh man, I am miserable. I don't deserve to go to church. I don't even need to be around a Christian today. I need just to wall up, Father, your kingdom come in my life. Look at this world. It is going to hell. I'm just glad I'm in church today and not like everyone else. Father, I long for your kingdom and to fill your kingdom with people who need you. See how that changes everything? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now let's move to the will of God. We now understand a little bit more about what the kingdom of God is. What is the will of God that we're to pray for? And this is where it goes a little bit more personal. Your kingdom come around me, within me, and in the future, giving me great hope. Your will be done. This means, this means that the king is allowed to call the shots in my life. It means that I understand the command of the king and I follow him. I follow him. There's this concept in 1 John where John kind of gives us a picture of the wills at war within us. And he says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away, along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love this passage because it kind of gives, goes beneath the veneer of who we are and really shows us what's at work. And it's a battle of wills. God's will or my will? Are you okay with God's will ruling in your life? I know it's easy around religious environments to just go, boy, that happened. I don't understand. Well, it's the will of God. No big deal. No. No, this can bother us. And it's not good that we just throw out this word, will of God. It's something that we need to engage thoughtfully, sincerely, openly. And so as we look at this, this kind of shows us what's wrong with our wills. Because our wills are many times led by desires. First of all, the desires of the flesh. Those are something about us. Something about where we find our identity in that are different than God. And we can find our identity in a whole bunch of different areas. We can have different values that we've got to have for us to be in relationships with people. And we call them, you know, these are my requirements. But really what they come down is the desires of the flesh. It's what we want for ourselves. Secondly, the desires of the eyes. It's real easy to long for something. These are our longings. And you can look at something and want that something. And soon a want becomes a need. And that moves us over to invest all that we are and all that we have into the getting that desire. And the desires of the eyes are really steeped in, in kind of lusting after things. That's why porn is so destructive, by the way. Because it's a desire of the eyes. If I just see that or I can just experience that, I'll feel better. I'll be satisfied. 
And what it just shows over and over is it leaves you empty. It objectifies women or men. It objectifies your life. You become an object of destruction in your life. It just destroys relationships. And then there's the pride of life. The pride of life is the position that you see yourself. It's your dream for yourself. It's, I'm a pastor. I need to be respected up here. And when someone doesn't respect me, when someone criticizes me, I, I'm going to get them because, man, I am in this. No, that's a pride of life. And that's not the humility of Jesus. And if you're tempted, it's usually over one of these three areas. I always kind of process that. When I'm tempted, is it a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes, or is it the part of the pride of life of how I view my position in this world? And Jesus says this about those areas. If you're going to pour your life into the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, or the pride of life, all those things, Joe, are passing away. They're all part of this kingdom, this dark kingdom on earth. I will defeat that, remember? Stomp until everything is under my foot. All of those things are passing away. So my will, my will is what matters because my will builds the kingdom. And so what this means for us is we've got to come to a place where of acceptance with the will of God for us. Acceptance where we turn away from our will and say, not my will, but your will be done. Have you done that, by the way? I know a lot of these things, and as we talk about the kingdom of God, are attractive to talk about. They love, it's our vision for the world, it's God's vision for the world, and we really love that. But we don't like listening to the king or submitting to the king. We have to come to a place where we accept there's no king but Jesus in my life. And we turn from our sin to trust and follow him. This king laid down his life for us. He lived, he died, and he rose again for us. And so by faith in him, we're called to accept who he is and what he's doing in our lives. And the second word is this, obedience. We don't like obedience. We just don't. That's why we kind of soften it when we preach. We call it, we call it following Jesus. What it really means? Obedience. Obey him. Understand his command and follow him, without, follow him willingly, not kicking and screaming. Here's what I've learned about obedience in my life. Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm a strong-willed child. I am. How many of you have a strong-willed child? Don't raise your hand. They may be seated next to you. Yeah. How many of you have a strong-willed child? My sister had a strong-willed child, and she bought the book Strong-Willed Child by James Dobson. This child ripped the cover off the book. I love that. That is strong will on steroids, you know? And before you obey as a strong-willed child, you will fight. You will fight the commands of your heavenly father. You will go, you don't care. We instantly become 11-year-olds. You don't care. You're ruining my life. No one will love me. If God is calling us out of a relationship, we will, we will say all those things, this side of obedience, until we actually obey. Until we take that next step and we go, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to follow you. I don't really feel like this. But I know you have your best for me, Heavenly Father. I'm going to follow you. And on this side, guess what you see? Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Because obedience always begets more obedience. Disobedience always begets more disobedience. 
Because you can, you can be your best rationale for not obeying what Christ has called us to. And that means also that we have alignment. That means that, that we're always in alignment with the will of God. And none of us are going to be perfect on this. And all that we need to do this has been given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're to always be aligned to the Spirit's moving in our lives through the Word of God. And as a follower and obeyer, as a strong-willed child of God, I just realize I need constant connection to God's Word to keep me aligned. This is my Google Maps for life. I don't know if you've ever had that and you've made a wrong turn. You may hear recalculating, right? Well, this is what I hear. Make an immediate U-turn. I hear that a lot. And my wife will look at me sometimes and go, so why do you have that? (laughs) You're not following it. Yeah, but. There's a lot of yeah, buts with the leading of God's will in our lives. And, And what we want is ultimately we want a close connection so that when we start to drift, we become realigned to God's will. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12 on the will of God. And the first part is, this is pretty common, uh, a common verse that many of you who've been following Jesus for a while may know. It may be new to others, but I want you to read it with kingdom, kingdom eyes. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's just pause there. How can we present our bodies as living sacrifices to God? Well, we can only do that because Jesus died for us. Jesus provided his life. He died so that when we offer ourselves to God, we don't have to die anymore. He paid that price for us. He set us free so that when we offer our lives, we say, God, have my life and bring your life into my life. Make my life about your life, your will. And then he says in, in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you remember when I talked about the dreams we have for our kids and the dream that your Heavenly Father has for you? It's spelled out in here. God has what is good and acceptable and perfect for you. And that is for you to look like Christ. Look like his son. And Jesus came to live so that we would have a life to follow. Jesus came and died so that we would find our meaning by dying to live. That we would give up on ourselves in order to live to God. And Jesus rose from the dead because death and sin no, no longer have dominion over us. And so he calls us to this. This is his dream for us. And he says, don't be, don't be conformed anymore to this pattern of the world. Be transformed. And it kind of shows us in following the will of God, we're either going to be conforming to this world or we're going to be transforming. You can go, no, I can sit back in my apartment. I can watch Netflix for the whole week. And, and that's not doing anything. No, that's conforming to the world. It's conforming. Everything's our eyes see, everything that feeds our minds, every thought that goes, that is either conforming or being transformed. 
That's why we're called to follow the will of God so that we would discern what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect for us through Christ. Now, we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The New Testament first followers of Jesus understood the kingdom. Once they understood the kingdom, then they could dedicate their lives to the will of God. Here are three values that I want to leave you with. Because these were three values of everyone who lived out God's dream for them. The first one is this, surrender. They understood that their life was not about themselves. Their kingdom was not the center of the universe. And they realized that the greatest thing they could be a part of was building God's kingdom on earth. By bringing light into darkness. And so they went to places. They surrendered the dream they had for themselves to be a part of the kingdom of God, the dream of their heavenly father. We have to come to that point of surrender. How much will it take for us to get to the end of ourselves on the kingdoms we're building? How much? How much of the end of ourselves, how much money, how much time, how much worry, how much anxiety do we have to face before we surrender We have to come to the point where we we surrender our kingdoms to bring in the kingdom of God in our lives. Secondly, humility. Jesus came as a humble servant. His life is the life that we're called into. I've heard a lot of people go that Jesus wants me to be happy. That's his number one dream for me. I'm sorry it's not. It's not. And that's one of the key angles where I know my life is drifting is when my goal for happiness exceeds my desire for obedience. I've got to approach God with a humble spirit. And Jesus came into this world on the sidelines. He, Herod the Great was the ruler of the world, the Roman Empire at that time. And here you have Jesus the humble, kind of hanging out in the side areas, the margins of life. And it was he that planted that little seed and the kingdom grew. And now look at it. And I can't wait for that kingdom to come around me, within me, and in the future. We've got to do this through humility, not pride. And the New Testament church learned humility. That's why Paul would write right after this passage, don't count yourself more important as you ought. Because the king is the greatest. And I humble myself to the king. And the final thing is sacrifice. And what I mean by this is once they understood the kingdom and they submitted to the king, they were willing to give all they were and all they had to make his name greater on this earth. And you know, that's kicking and screaming if you think about it for strong-willed children. I don't want it to be about anything more than me. I, or those of us who live in survival, I can't make it through this day if I don't get this thing and we're focused on ourselves. It's really hard to see it. But we all have to come to the end of ourselves. And once we find the greatest treasure of all, we're willing to sell everything. We're willing to give everything to advance the kingdom of God on this earth. I want to be about the kingdom. And I know my only hope as a strong-willed child is the will of God in my life for his will to win. Let's pray for this. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Father, as your children, thank you for sharing your dream with us today. Lord, we understand a little bit more than when we first came in, even after preaching this now five times. I'm a little bit more wiser on the kingdom. I want your kingdom. We want your kingdom around us, within us, and we look forward to it as our hope, a hope that will not disappoint, a hope that is an anchor to the soul. Father, move us in your kingdom, and may we be willing to let your will win over ours every time. Give us a heart, a passion, an appetite for obedience because we see how you transform us in following you as we trust you in obedience. We lift you up. Make Jesus greater. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.